Please be seated. Today is the last sermon in the Gospel of John. What? I'm glad no one clapped. Um, finally. Actually, I'm very excited. I've been waiting for this chapter. The, um, I want to remind you of, uh, we talked about it last week, talked about it many times over the last six, seven months we've been in John. And that is a theme statement. And here's the theme statement once again. So listen carefully. This is at the end of chapter 20, after Jesus has appeared to the, the apostles and finally to doubting Thomas. We talked about that last week. So John summarizes his gospel. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. So many other signs. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that's how he ended chapter 20. Functionally, chapter 20 became the end of the Gospel of John. Now we have another chapter, chapter 21. So we're going to do now, because I didn't do it yet, we're going to pray. Father, guide us in your word today. Open our eyes to truths we didn't understand before or didn't know. Show us lies we might be believing about ourselves, about who you are, about who my neighbor is next to me. Um, motivate me, Lord, to, to know what it means to follow your son. So do your work through your word in our hearts. And we love you. In Christ's name, amen. So like a good novel, though, if you read a good novel, sometimes you get to the end and you go, Oh, but, but what about so-and-so? What happened to him? What about that situation? What happened there? Because there's, there's sometimes missing information. There needs to be a wrap-up. So the book will have an epilogue. And you go, oh, all right, they're going to address that question I've had through the whole book. So John chapter 21 is truly an epilogue. It is dealing with unfinished business. That's right. Ron, Ron's back there waving Bibles at me. So if anybody needs a Bible... Raise your hand, they'll bring you one. And, and if you don't own a Bible, keep it. So if you need a Bible, we're in John chapter 20. Thanks, Ron. Unfinished business. Peter's still in limbo land. Think about it. Peter denied Jesus three times. The resurrection probably overwhelmed him. But there's no indication that Jesus dealt with Peter's denial. And th think of Peter's psyche. We saw the video from Passion of the Christ, how... When Jesus turned and looked at Je when Jesus turned and looked at Peter after his third denial, it crushed Peter to see in his eyes his Savior's sadness. Peter was crushed. Well, John is the only one that deals with the restoration of Peter, and so that's what we're going to talk about today. John chapter twenty-one. I want to summarize the first fourteen verses for us. Jesus has now appeared to them a couple times. They've gone back to Galilee, and, and Peter and Nathaniel, Thomas, James, and John are together on the seashore of the of, of Sea of Galilee. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. Some would suggest that Peter's saying, I'm going back to my old ways, going back to my former career. That's more than the text says. We'll talk about it again in a minute. They fish all night. All five of them fish all night, catch nothing. As they come back to shore... There's someone on shore. They're about 100 yards out. There's someone on shore that says, hey, did you catch anything? And they said, no, we did not. And John says, it's the Lord. So Peter, 
Peter had stripped down to um, his, his, his loincloth to do the network, the, the work with the nets, not network. <laughs> um, new meaning today. So he grabbed his outer garment and jumped in the water and swam, swam 100 yards. And the, the rest of them, oh, no, I, so, so I skipped the whole part of it. <laughs> Jesus says, hey, did you catch anything? Nothing, all night. Throw your nets to the right side of the boat. So they do that, and they haul this huge load in. When they counted it later, 153 fish. So this was a huge load for that time. That's when Peter jumps in, swims to shore. Jesus has some fish on the grill, says, give me some more. So they, he grills lunch for them, or breakfast, has bread for them. And after they're done eating, Jesus says to Peter, let's go for a walk. That's where we'll pick up the story in verse 15. This is where Jesus restores Peter and three times says, do you love me? Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Peter said to Simon, I gotta get my names right. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Let's stop there for a moment. The first time he asked Peter, do you love me? He puts a little phrase on it. Do you love me more than these? Who are these or what are these? Now, now in Greek, nouns have gender. And this particular noun could either be neuter or masculine. It could be masculine referring to, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? Which is, a, which is an interesting statement. Or do you love me more than you love these other disciples? But if it's a neuter noun, it's referring to the fishing industry. Do you love me more than fishing? See, and early in the ministry, when Jesus comes along the Sea of Galilee and he calls Peter and Andrew and James and John, what does he say to them? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You just went back to fishing, Peter. Do you love me more than you love fishing? Do you know that I love you, Lord? Then feed my sheep. Step into the calling that I have for you. Let's keep reading. Verse 16. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. The third time, Peter's grieved. Why is he grieved, you think? Does he think maybe Jesus doesn't believe him? I've told you I do. And this time he says, you know everything. This is, this is great theology on Peter's part. Remember what Peter said to Jesus. When Jesus said, you guys will all abandon me tonight at the Last Supper, 
Peter said, Lord, they may all leave. I won't. I will die with you tonight. And that's when Jesus said, Peter, not only will you not die with me tonight, tonight you will deny me three times. Jesus knew that. He knows all things. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. So why is he grieved? Maybe, maybe the three times are three opportunities to restore Peter for his three denials. It possibly, possibly it's a reminder of what he did wrong. So he's grieved. Does he believe, does he think Jesus doesn't believe him? So it, it's one of those texts that I get, hmm, I don't have a clear answer. But I'm sure Peter wants to move on from this event. But Jesus three times gives him an opportunity to confess his love for Jesus. And the beauty of this for us, how many times have you and I been delivered from some sinful activity that we have gone back, and I use this phrase, it's biblical, but like a dog to vomit, or a pig back to the mud, and then he forgives us, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness, and we live in that victory for a time, then what do we do? We go back to the mud. Why would you forgive me, God? I keep doing this. And Jesus forgives us again and restores us. Do you love me, Tony? Put your name in there. Do you love Jesus? With that love, well, let me back up. Let's talk about love for a minute. I want you to remember that salvation is a relationship. We've talked about this many times. Salvation is a relationship. It's not simply an event where I, I gain something. It's entering into a relationship with the living God. John 17, 3, where Jesus says, This is eternal life, that they might know you, the true living God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, that we might know them, live in relationship with the Father and the Son through the Spirit. And relationships foundation, all healthy relationships foundation, is love. What's the first fruit of the Spirit? Tell me the fruit of the Spirit. Joy. Peace. Yes, I always say the optional one, self-control. Not true, not true. That's just how I live sometimes. Very first one, love. 1 Corinthians 13, the whole chapter's on love. At the end, though, it says, these three remain. See, all, all of this life is going away, but there's three things that remain, Paul says. Faith, hope, and? And the greatest of these is? So love is the, is the core and the foundation of our walk with God and our walk with one another. So, Peter, do you love me? Peter, Jesus is restoring Peter back from his failure, which devastated him. The resurrection, which you wonder what Peter was thinking when he sees Jesus, that sure, sure, He's alive, how wonderful. But I still failed him, and I failed him miserably. So is Peter's attitude, I'm going back to fishing. I, I can do that well. He goes back and doesn't catch a thing. And so Jesus says, throw the nets on the right side of the boat. Paul's in a huge hall. Do you love me more than these, Peter? You know that I do. So let me do a quick sidebar on the Greek words here for love. Some of you know this. If you don't, don't, don't get lost here. 
In Greek, there's multiple words for love. The primary word for love in Greek, the noun is agape, and the verb is agapo. The second noun that's primary is phylos, for love, it's a noun, and the verb is philo. Agape is the most common word. God so loved the world, gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's the love God has for his enemies. Often phylos or philo is seen as a lesser love. And it's, it's a familial love. It's, it's a love in a family. But they're synonyms. So what happens here is Peter, Jesus asks the question, do you agapo me? And Peter says, I philo you. Some are saying that Jesus is asking for this kind of love, and Peter lowers it to this kind of love. I don't agree. Second time, do you agapo me? I philo you. Third time, do you philo me? I philo you. Some would suggest that Jesus is trying to raise Peter to the highest love, but he won't go there. He goes to the secondary love. And that is, that is just not correct. It became popular about 100 years ago, and now it's repeated in commentaries, but it's, it's just not the way the words and language works. Both of these loves are incredible love. John uses them constantly back and forth. In John, God loves the world, agapo, and he philos the world. God loves his son, agapo, and he loves his son, philo. God loves you, agapo, and he loves you, philo. All through John, the words are interchangeable. Most likely, when they have the conversation, they're speaking Aramaic or maybe Hebrew. And those languages don't have the distinction in two words. So in the translation, I think our author, John, is simply doing a variety here. He's simply using, not repeating the word over and over. So if you, you're aware of this, don't read into this more than there. That's there. If you're not aware of this, and I just confused you, I apologize. Let's transition now to what love does. Jesus first restores Peter, then he commissions Peter, feed my sheep. Look, look at this slide here. Do we put all three on one slide? Verse 15, do you love me? Yes. What do you do? Read it with me. Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Verse 16. Yes. 16 or 17. Do you love me? Yes. So with this, love is action. Three times, Peter is commissioned by Jesus to carry out what he's been called to do. All through the Gospels, all four of them, Peter seems to be the leader. And Peter's presumptuous. He is, acts quickly. Talks before he thinks. Anybody like that in the room? I sure am. Then he falls hard. Jesus restores him and says, remember why I called you, Peter. I called you to be a fisher of men. And now I'm calling you, I'm refining that. Tend to my lambs. Lambs are the babies. Think spiritually now. Feed my sheep, even the grown-up ones. Peter. I'm calling you to step into a pastoral role in people's lives. Take care of the people I've given you. Peter had been commissioned by Jesus, but his denial derailed it. And personal failure tends to knock you down in confidence and feel unqualified, does it not? Jesus' role here is to pick Peter back up. I've forgiven you, I've restored you. 
Now, I'm going to remind you of why I called you, Peter. You need to lead my people. I remember the first car I owned was a Volkswagen Bug. It was my last year of high school, so 1977. It was a 63 Volkswagen Bug. I paid $300 for it. Those were the days. A couple months in, I totaled it. Pulled in front of somebody, he hit me, opened it like a can opener. I was okay. They, the police called, this before cell phones, the police called my dad, my dad came. My dad never let me drive his car, ever. So we're sitting there, the police wrapped it up. I get cited for pulling in front of the person. And my dad looks at me and says, here, throws me the keys to his car. Says, you drive home. First time ever. Last time ever. <laughs> but he wanted to restore me back to a confidence. You made a mistake. You screwed up. I get behind the wheel again. That's what Jesus is doing to Peter here. It's also what he does to us. I want you to think of the impact this probably had on Peter. Listen to the verse, it's to be on the screen, as Peter writes to Christians in Asia in his book, 1 Peter. Listen to what he says in chapter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you. There's elders, there's former elders in this room. This could also mean those older in the faith, but most likely refers to the office of elders. But nonetheless, nonetheless, look at I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. Think of that. Peter's, that's just not Peter reminiscing. Peter's saying, I watched him die. I watched him die, and I failed him. As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God. That's what Jesus told him to do. Now he's passing it on to others. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown So Peter's words, this is now probably 30 years later, Jesus' words to Peter, he now passes on to other church leaders. So if you're a leader in a church, that's your calling. Jesus' words come straight to you through Peter. Now let's look at the relationship of love to Peter's commission and to our commission. Do you understand we're all commissioned? Okay. But we're all commissioned in a general sense. What's the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That, that's a general commission to every Christian. But you also have specific commissionings. Every Christian does. Through the Spirit of God living in you, you've been gifted. And I, and I, I want to take spiritual gifts, which, which come from the Holy Spirit, but also I want to take all your talents. Don't think your talents are derived by you. James chapter 1 tells us every good thing in your life comes from God. So your gifts and your talents are from him to be used for what? For him. His purposes in the people in your life. So the relationship of love 
and his commissioning. Remember, love is the relationship. Love is the word that we enter into this relationship, and it's a love relationship. We, we are accepted by God not based upon what we have done. Do you get that? We are accepted by God based on what he has done. You are not accepted by God based upon who you are. You're accepted by God based upon who he is. It's fundamentally and vitally understand that. Christianity is not performance-based acceptance. But there is an empowering when God saves you. He changes your heart. There's an empowering through his spirit in you, and he, he equips you to serve others. And then he says, now go do it. So in light of that truth, I want to remind you that love obeys. We had a sermon on this a couple months ago. Listen to John 14, 15. Jesus says to his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Please understand there. That's not performance-based. i got to keep these commandments so that I will be accepted. It's the exact opposite. Because I'm accepted based upon who God is, because I'm accepted based on what God has done, he has changed me. He's equipped me, he's made me his child, and he's commissioned me. I'm going to step into that now and obey his calling. Jesus calls Peter to live his life for the sheep. Are we any different? We're not. I may not be a Peter or a Paul, but I'm no less called you guys hired me, you pay me. Not so I do all the work and you do nothing. We're all called. I have this incredible privilege to make my living at doing this. You gotta do it for free. So let's look at Jesus' final command to Peter. You know what I do? I um, Read verses 18 and 19 real quick here. After the third time, do you love me? Feed my sheep. 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said, follow me. Very, very informative here if we read between the lines. Do you know how Peter died? He was crucified. They, he was, you will they will stretch out your hands and take you where you don't want to go. Tradition tells us that when Jesus, excuse me, Peter was condemned to death to die by crucifixion, he said, don't crucify me like the Lord. Crucify me upside down. Not good enough to be crucified like Jesus. Upside down. Follow me, Jesus says. There's an implicit thing here in the call to Peter that you follow me in your life, feed my sheep, and you will follow me in my death. 
Back in John 13, when Jesus told him he would betray him, listen to the words about following. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Because Jesus said, where I go, you can't follow. Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I not follow you now? I would lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. You will not follow me now. But then he's taken a walk in the epilogue here. And he says, Peter, when you get old, you're going to die like me. Follow me. Most of us, probably maybe none of us, will die that kind of death. But I want to talk about the idea of following Christ. And let me read verses 20 to 23, then we'll jump into that. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. Who's the disciple Jesus loved, by the way, in the Gospel of John? John. It is John himself. It's how he refers to himself. He never calls himself by name. The disciple whom Jesus loved. The one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and said to him, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, so imagine Peter and John walking on the beach, excuse me, Peter and Jesus walking on the beach and having this, this intimate conversation. And John's following close behind. So Peter turns around and sees John. What about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Interesting principle. I'm always concerned about what you're doing, maybe more than I'm concerned about what I'm doing. So, so Jesus here is saying, hey, hey, focus, Peter, focus. Don't worry about him, I got him. You follow me. So the saying spread among the brothers, spread abroad among the brothers, that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? John is putting this little commentary in here because this gospel was written in the 90s. Jesus died in the early 30s. The other gospels were written probably in the 60s. John's not writing this gospel until 20 to 30 years after the other gospels are written. All of the other 11 apostles are dead. They all were martyred for their faith. John died an old man of old age. And so John is writing, saying, hey, I'm the only one left. And there was this rumor going around that I would never die. And that's not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say I would never die. Simply that if I, re I might remain until Jesus comes back. So, so John is probably putting this little editorial note in because people are wondering, is John never going to die? But he obviously did. So, follow me. What I want to do is, is go to Matthew now and read two passages on following Christ. And this is where we're going to end the sermon. And, and I, I wasn't sure how to do this. Jesus has some very black and white statements, all or nothing statements about following him. And with Peter, he's restored Peter 
from maybe the most devastating failure of his life. Actually calling a curse upon himself and swearing, not cussing, but swearing by God, I do not know that man. So, so we know the devastation in Peter's heart, the failure, and now he's been restored. I've restored you, Peter. Follow me. So I want to remind you of what follow me means to Peter. And does it mean any less to us? And the goal of this, because when I read these kind of things, I go, oh, I fall so far short. The goal here is not to create discouragement or depression or guilt in you. The goal is to remind us of who we are and what it means to be a believer in Jesus. My friend, Dan Frank, he's the pastor of Grace Church in Reno, where I served for 23 years. Dan doesn't say, I'm a Christian. He says, I'm a follower of Jesus. Because he believes the word Christian is so easy to say. So he'd rather say, I'm a follower of Jesus in light of these passages. Matthew 4, 18 and 19. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, this is the beginning of the story, same location as with Peter now. He saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. And they were, they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I will change your entire identity. I will change your whole vocation. You're pursuing that now for money? Leave it behind, and I'll give you a new identity. Six chapters later, chapter 10, verse 37. This is where it gets hard. Whoever loves father or mother more than me, Jesus says, is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his own cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He repeats those exact words in chapter 16 again. We're starting a series on the family next week. And in this series, we're going to talk about what it means for husbands and wives to love each other. We're going to talk about what it means to be single and follow Jesus. We're going to talk about child raising and all the things that come with family. And if you have children, often we love our children more than we love our spouses problem, by the way. We'll talk about that. Sometimes we abandon what God has called us to do because we want to make our spouse happy. Jesus is, is black and white here. There is no gray area in these commands. And But the last line, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Verse chapter 16, 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever will lose, loses his life for my sake will find it. It's the idea of, am I all in? Am I, am I all in? Every area of my life, I follow Jesus. Do these apply to me today in our world? Are these just for the apostles or the spiritual elites?
So I want to just leave this, this hanging here. We all have to meditate on these verses. We all have to ask the question, what have I dedicated my life to? And is my life dedicated to things lesser than the love of Christ? I do believe we can carry out most of the things we're already doing, still, still do them with a different motivation. But there may be some things we are doing that actually hinders our love for Jesus and needs to change. Again, the goal of this is really first for me and then for us. Am I a follower of Jesus? Or I just prefer the, the, the vague term Christian. Let's demand. Let's be followers. Lord, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you for what you have done to secure our salvation. As we've looked at the last several weeks, your betrayal, your arrest, the severe beatings, ultimately the cruel death on the cross. We thank you, Lord, that you rose from the dead so you can give us life. Father, we thank you for this amazing plan. For the foundation of the world, you planned this. We are the recipients of your mercy and your grace and your love. So, Lord, help us to be brutally honest with ourselves before you. You know all things, as Peter said. You know all things. You know every thought in our mind, every motive of our heart. We can fool ourselves. We can't fool you. Thank you for never leaving or forsaking us, never abandoning us in our confusion, in our failures. In, um, but God... Show us specifics, what it means to follow Jesus every day in our families, in our employment, in our entertainment, all of it, Father. What it means to lose our life for you so we can gain it in the end. Amazing words. Thank you. We trust as we started this service that you are honored today. In your son's name we pray.